0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: It really uh, started as a brainchild when I was working ground the fall of 2017 and thought there has to be an easier solution out there.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast, sponsored, of course, by our partners at HTS Ag. Mike, it is another cold day here in central Iowa. How are things shaking out over there in Chicago?
2: You know what? It is a balmy 72 degrees here in Ugh. the inner offices in downtown Chicago. I'm looking out the window, and it's sunny, so I'm going to assume that it is beautiful out. Though so I, I imagine being as it's January in Chicago, it's mm-hmm. probably fairly chilly as well. It's fairly chilly. So that's Ugh. what you get in the wintertime, Delaney. I'll... I know, I
0: know. I always tell myself that so listen, someday. What
2: are you up to today?
0: Well, so I am in northwest Iowa on another Master Pork Producers trip so every year at the iowa pork congress producers from across the state of iowa are recognized as being master pork producers for raising pork well and so we were shooting some video footage out there today just finished up lunch and now we're doing the podcast
2: all right fantastic well as we start the podcast delaney got a piece of news. We we're all hotly anticipating USMCA coming out of the Senate Finance Committee today, headed to the floor of the Senate for debate. And there was talk that perhaps even a vote would happen today on USMCA. That was the chat early this morning coming out of Washington, D.C. However, Bloomberg notes that a full Senate vote on the USMCA might be put off until next week at the earliest because the Senate Finance Committee ended up not shooting it straight to the floor. Uh, They voted to advance it 25 to 3 to bring it out of the Finance Committee. However, rather than going to the floor, it was referred to six other panels, and uh, all these other panels then have to give their approval before the Senate can vote. So basically, it was sent over to the Committee on Health, Education, Labor and Pensions, Environment and Public Works, Appropriations, Appropriations, Foreign Relations, Commerce, Science and Transportation, and Budget. All those folks have got to now either say we're not going to take it up, we're not going to talk about it, just go ahead and kick it out, or we are going to talk about it, give us time to discuss it, then those committees will vote, and then it will go to the floor of the Senate. So not going to happen this week on the USMCA. Yeah,
0: and another monkey wrench in that I was reading an article about that today as well, Mike, and one of the other things that could further delay the vote on the floor would be if we do see the articles of impeachment get released over to the senate according to i guess whatever government uh piece of legislation that is that dictates what the house and senate do the senate has to take up the articles of impeachment first they have to give it priority and push everything else on their docket to the back burner including usmca so if we see that released as well that'll Kick things further down the road here for USMCA.
2: Absolutely, that uh, that Senate or the, that impeachment deal is the 800-pound gorilla in the Senate. Whenever that gets moved over, you're exactly right, Delaney. That is going to severely complicate plans to get anything done in the quote world's greatest deliberative body. Well, I've got a piece of news also that was a little surprising to me. It doesn't seem as though the trade was terribly shocked, so perhaps there had been rumors of this that just hadn't percolated up to my ears yet. But China announced that they are not going to increase their annual low-tariff import quotas for corn, wheat, and rice. So, initially... When we're talking about signing of the phase one trade deal, the expectation was that in addition to stepping in to buy beans, perhaps, which China needs less of now that half their hog herd is dead, China might instead step up in the grain sector and make some large purchases of corn, wheat, and rice. Namely, they were talking about five to six million metric tons of wheat and a similar amount of corn. However... In order for China to do that, for them to afford to be able to do it at market competitive rates, which is the only time they've said they wanted to buy things, they would have to raise these tariff quotas. And now they're coming out and saying they don't want to or they don't plan on it, which means maybe we're not going to see that great a sales of those grains heading into China, which was uh, just a little surprising, definitely could have weighed on the market today, but we did not see too much movement to the upside or the downside across any of the grains in uh, in today's trading session.
0: Well, another thing that could weigh heavily on our trade relationships is what's going on right now in Japan. They are expected to finalize a budget this month that would contain about $223 million in new subsidies specifically for beef and dairy operations to help them increase production. And that's not a great sign for U.S. agriculture, as we know that uh, we wanted Japan to be a big market for us now with the kind of mini trade deal going on between the U.S. and Japan. And they said that really they're doing this because there are so many trade agreements that they're a part of now. And even though they are expected to boost beef and dairy imports... They also want to create some competition and drive down domestic production. And said there to offset some of those recent trade agreements, they are aiming to double their Wagyu beef production to 300,000 metric tons by 2035. And their goal is to get about 200,000 new breeding cows on feed by 2035 as well.
2: Oh, interesting. So... That would not just be Wagyu, then. That would be all varieties of beef.
0: All varieties of the beef. The they want to bring. Specifically dairy, too.
2: Oh, okay. Both of those. Yes. Interesting. So, it's, it's interesting. 300,000 is what they plan to increase their domestic production by. Just to put things in perspective, in 2007, beef exports from the U.S. totaled 1.26 million metric tons. So, 300,000 metric ton increase in Japan, certainly not the end of the world. Delaney, I think, as you mentioned, we will continue to see advantages under the new uh, Japan-U.S. free trade agreement, particularly for those beef and dairy products. So, we'll probably still have a place in that market.
0: We probably will, Mike, but I think dairy is going to be the one that maybe will suffer or continue to suffer. And as you mentioned yesterday, just kind of in the end of the podcast there, we've got another really some... uh, bad news for the dairy industry when you look at continued losses and I wanted to follow that up with sharing about Wisconsin's losses here in 2019. They lost about 10.7% of their licensed dairy farms in 2019 and so that's pretty sad that we continue to see that industry tightening up. We saw about just over, just not quite 7,300 dairy operations in Wisconsin compared to almost a thousand more when you compared to January 1st of 2018. So really see, or 2019, excuse me, but really seeing the the uh, dairy herd tighten up as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is what that dairy industry needed to do. It's, from a market perspective, just looking at prices and fluid milk supply, that was what the market needed to do. It's just painful that it it's had to happen predominantly to small and mid-sized dairy operators that are, uh, you know, the old-style family farmers. You know, those are the ones who've definitely taken it the hardest. Absolutely. Um, I've got an interesting piece of story. Just while we're talking meat and dairy demand, uh, we had an announcement from Cargill earlier today. They have seen their second-quarter profits jump because of meat demand. So basically they said their quarterly profit rose more than 19% as the animal nutrition and protein business tapped into rising global demand uh, for meat that is uh, you know, dodging the African swine fever virus. Um, they said they are uh, – you know watching this thing out as it goes forward, but they think the global markets for pork beef, and chicken have been reshaped as China is sourcing scouring as their word the world for new sources of meat, um, both their animal and plant based protein uh, supplies, I guess, are, uh, have been a big part of their success, and uh, they say that despite being hit by a sour farm economy, the consumer demand for protein, particularly animal or animal lookalike protein, is really driving their profitability, which I thought was interesting.
0: That is interesting, Mike. Do you have any other news? Because I have one other piece of news, but it's a little bit frustrating, so I kind of want to save that discussion for last.
2: All right, I did have one other piece of news. Let me see if I can pull it up here, and this just kind of relates to that Cargill story as we 're talking about look alike uh, fake meat products. Uh, we had an announcement earlier today, and i don 't have the details on it, but impossible meats is now making an impossible pork product. Up till now, they have only been competing with ground beef. Now they're also competing with ground pork. And a company in Thailand, their largest agribusiness firm, whose name I can't pronounce, they call it CPF, is launching a plant-based meat substitute that year, specifically targeting Southeast Asian countries that have been hit by African swine fever. They said, I thought this was interesting, their chief executive said, quote, there is a global trend of flexitarians, people who have vegetarian meals once or twice a week, and this is the market they are looking to hit. They think this is the time to move into that space, especially as consumers are looking to get away from a high-priced pork, particularly in China and Southeast Asia, as well as trying to capture these flexitarians, these people who are occasionally eating vegetarians. So I thought that was interesting.
0: That is interesting. Well, Mike, speaking of changing consumers and the way that veganism and you know alternative meats and other alternative choices are changing the way people consume meat, we saw an interesting ruling happen over the weekend from Great Britain they have concluded, a British employment tribunal has concluded that ethical veganism is going to be a philosophical belief worthy of protection from workplace discrimination they said that ethical veganism is now going to be included as part of their worker protection things that are also, you know, put in the same category as age, race, religion and sexual orientation in terms of workplace protection And just to, I guess, share this a little bit further, I thought this was really strange. This ethical veganism seems to be even one step further, a little more radical than the normal vegan that we think of, which, you know, don't eat animals or animal byproducts. They say ethical vegans also reject any sort of animal exploitation from wearing wool to using buses that could accidentally hit a bird or insect.
2: Well, I would say if somebody wants to really commit their life to quote-unquote ethical veganism, you go for it. I still think here in the U.S., if you choose to make that decision, you can be fired, and I think that's probably how it should be. That being said, Delaney, let's jump into the markets which care not what your dietary choices are because at the end of the day, all of this stuff is grown on farms
0: sponsoring today's Tech Tuesday episode is HTS Ag and HTS Ag not only dedicates themselves to technology but they're also producers in the field I've got on the line with me Adam Gittens who is the general manager and also using some of the technology that HTS has to offer on his own operation. Adam, tell me a little bit about some of the trials that you're doing to show to your customers just the technology that you guys have in your toolbox.
1: Delaney, we really believe that We need to prove the technology in our own operations before we take it to our customers. And this is just another example of that. So we have for multiple years been collecting data on electric drives and turn compensation from those drives in Southwest Iowa. And we are once again doing that on my own farm this year where we simply uh, worked with Ag Leader Technology to turn off the turn compensation and use the same planner. So we planted every other pass with and without turn compensation. The data is absolutely stunning already and I can't wait until we get to harvest and be able to share those results with our customers.
0: And folks, when harvest rolls around, you can find all of that information at www.htsag.com.
1: As
2: we look at the trade today, we have... uh Basically a down trade in the grains, although I should say slightly mixed. As we look at the corn market, the March contract was off a quarter penny at three hundred eighty four and a half. May also down a quarter at three ninety one and a quarter. Over in soybeans, the March was down one and a quarter cents at nine forty three and a half. The November down one and a half as well to finish at nine seventy two and three quarters. In the Chicago wheat pit, the March was up half a cent at five fifty and a half, with the May unchanged on the day at five fifty three and three three-quarters. Quick look over at the world of livestock. Weakness today in the cattle complex, not surprising, given yesterday's move towards a limit up in both fats and feeders. February live cattle down 75 cents at 126.5250. The April down 72. half at 127.3750. In feeder cattle, the March contract dropped a dollar 145 at 145.1250. April down 92.50 to close at 147.80. And a little bit of strength in lean hogs today. The April contract was up 80 cents at 7. 575 75. may climb 67 and a half to finish at 82 1250 over in the dairy markets, class 3 milk had a strong day to the upside january contract 13 cents higher at 1710 and the february up 18 cents at 1719 without further ado let's kick it over to our hashtag tech tuesday conversation For today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday segment, we're talking with Sean Arians. Sean is a farmer in northwest Illinois who has got a very long background in the ag tech space with several different companies. He now works as the regional business director for Advanced Agrilytics and, about three years ago, began the process to start a company called Graincoat. Sean, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: Thanks for having me on.
2: Let's get up to speed a little bit. Tell us, first of all, what is Grain
1: Coat? What have you been working on for the past three years? Yeah, Grain Coat was born out of a frustration of keeping track of my own grain marketing and inventory on my farm and really felt like there was no easy solution out there other than cloud-based spreadsheets to keep track of that. So I uh, decided that I was going to try and find a better way. And that better way happened to be what today is Grain an app that you can access on the web or your iPad or your phone to easily project bushels for multiple years. Now, of course, the grain market hasn't been that fun to market into for multiple years in advance, but allows you a chance to see your operation very easily with little data entry and then being able to connect to elevators and make offers with those drain buyers that you already have relationships with and keep track of those contracts, receive delivery notifications when those contracts are due. And then simple reporting tools and and like an end of year report where we can value that inventory on basically the delayed futures quote. So you always have an idea of what your inventory value is worth or that estimated inventory value without having to do a lot of data management and data entry. That's pretty fantastic.
2: Walk me through a little bit. How do you get away from doing the data entry? I know for a lot of growers, that is a major headache and a time suck. How are you able to get the information into the Coat app to make it handle this stuff without me physically typing it all in?
1: Yeah, and, and to be clear, Mike, it, there is some data entry. Uh, it's not all magic. But what we've tried to do is once you enter the data, we've tried to be really smart and develop logic uh, that if you have crop rotations, we project those new bushels based off of the crop rotations. When you go and create a plan, much like this time of year, we've wrapped up 2019, you can put in your, your total bushels. We do the calculations of your APHs and update any of the bushels on your dashboard so we know uh, what your dashboard showing is, is accurate based off of actual production. And then we go, go through and Based off of what you've told us on your crop rotation, we'll go ahead and and allow you to verify that crop plan for 2020. So it's not re-entering all that data. It's simply verifying that we've got the projections right. You you go through, you make a, a double check, and you hit verify, and now your crop plan for 2020 is entered. So it's it's really trying to streamline a bit of the data entry or data management and be smart about it, not necessarily remove everything.
2: That is very cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the process looked like to get this from a, a mental image, this is what I'd like to see on my
1: farm, to
2: where you're at today with it.
1: <laughs> Boy, if, if only I could tell you in, in five minutes, but it, it really uh, started as a brainchild when I was working ground the fall of 2017 and thought there has to be an easier solution out there, and what would I want it to be? And then really a lot of patience in working with a developer and scoping the project to say, what is the minimum viable product that I could launch? And that took almost eight months to get to market where we could take a credit card, create an account, uh, put in all the information that was really viable uh, for a customer, including myself as a farmer, to try and use that and be effective. And then, really, a lot of changes uh, since we launched in August of twenty eighteen to where we are today in adding features, adding delivery notifications. Uh, we also have a feature where if you sell and you enter a sale into graincoat or if your elevator confirms it through graincoat, uh, we automatically notify your broker if you've set them up to receive notifications. so a lot of those little nuanced, somewhat, it sounds like easy features, but once you get in and try and develop, and uh, it's it's always a matter of trying to develop what is it that we need next, or what is most effective for the farmers on the system or those who want to use it, and uh, you know, it's really been an ongoing learning experience of what works, what doesn't, The more logic you put in to try and make it smart, as I alluded to, of projecting bushels and trying to take out some of that data entry or data management, the more logic you add, the smarter it gets to be, but the more headaches that causes uh, to really manage through all the different use cases that farmers experience. So it's been a great learning experience. It's been fun. It's been challenging, frustrating, all the things that we experience as farmers.
2: Well, and that's the thing you alluded to right there. When you talk about making projections, and then we get a year like 2019, of course, you had grain code out there. You had growers on the system. How well was performance this year, given we did have such a strange growing season with so many last-minute changes to rotation and fertility plans and, and everything else? Were growers able to make the adjustments as the growing season
1: went on? Absolutely. And that was one of the tools that we created was a crop verification that through the season, essentially two times a year, the goal is to double check the projections or that smart logic that we put in because of, like you called it here, 2019 was the year of many challenges and changes. So after planting season, you can simply hit crop verification. It brings up a page where you can simply go in and select the fields that maybe you didn't get planted to corn or soybeans, or maybe you did corn on corn or corn on uh, beans or beans on beans, whatever that rotation looked like in the flux of 2019, and you could change those all in one file swoop rather than a, a bunch of tedious individual field entries or adjusting your estimated yields. You could all do that from one page. So that was where that feature came in really handy this year of being able to manage through without a bunch of tedious uh, data entry and really cutting the time down by using features like that. Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit
2: about growers that are looking to sign up. Do you cover the entire country? Does it work uh, pretty well across the board wherever folks are at, or do we need to be in a specific geographic area to have the information and the logic you've built into the program really do its thing?
1: Yeah, we're, we're not super crop specific uh, for a grain coat advantage. Now there's a grain coat free version, which allows you to track corn and soybeans and wheat. But if you get into double crop scenarios or you want other crops, a grain coat advantage is where you can take advantage of the notifications, the multiple crops, the end of year reports, all of those features. Uh, so we do allow uh, different yield by uh, bushels per acre, as well as pounds per acre. Uh, certainly today, don't have a lot of folks using the pounds per acre, but we wanted to try and have that as flexibility as we expand into other geographies outside of the Corn Belt. Very cool. Let's
2: talk about price. When it comes to things that can help me on the farm, it always comes down to how does it affect the bottom line. What is it set up from a, a price perspective? How do you market green coat out there in the uh, world of agriculture?
1: Yeah, so being a farmer myself and having been in the ag tech world in my career for quite some time, um, I wanted it to be affordable. And so for the grain code advantage, it's $199 a year. There's no per bushel transaction. If you make an offer to your elevator, there's no per bushel fee for that. It's It's simply sending an email once you set up the elevator to connect with them. The elevator verifies your relationship, and, and now you can send those offers via email or text. Uh, the same today with the broker notification. It's simply to allow you to connect to your broker in a different way. As we expand, uh, you know, to elevators and brokers, they they may have a fee as well. But today, it's simply $199 a year, and you can have, uh, you know, a lot of times you have a father son operating or a father daughter on the farm they can have their uh, one account for both operations and keep track of that because generally uh, the son or daughter is the one that's keeping track of that, and so they're helping dad and or grandpa or uncle, and they want to keep track of it. So they can do that all in one account with separate operations. And it's really an affordable price, I think, to try and get technology that works in their hands rather than having the, the hurdle of price be a detractor from, from gaining adoption.
2: Gotcha. So for our listeners who are interested in signing up, they want to test it out, they want to see as we get into 2020 how it can help them manage their, their operation and their inventory, where's the best place to go? Where can they get more information?
1: Visit our website at graincoat.com. And normally if uh, I, I go through there about weekly or two times a week and, and uh, will allow for a free trial version. So once they create a free account, uh, I'll set them up with a two week trial so they can see the advantages of Graincoat Advantage. And then if they uh, want to sign up from there, they certainly can. Otherwise there's the option for the free account which has some of the basic features included.
2: Fantastic, folks. It comes back to something we've said a lot on this podcast. If you don't measure it, you can't change it. So getting a better handle on all the data points of your operation can help bring you to uh, perhaps closer to financial success, at least, to set you on the right path. So with that, Sean Arians, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. If listeners want to talk to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Where can they reach you on social media
1: or the like? Social media would be ag underscore guy 04 and that's the twitter handle otherwise email me at sean at graincoat.com that's s-e-a-n at graincoat.com and i'll get back with them on any information they'd, they'd like or questions about graincoat
2: fantastic sean arians thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us
1: thanks for having me on today mike
0: All right, well, that wraps up another Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. You can check out any of our past podcasts on globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, or you can find us on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those great podcasting platforms. Mike, they can also interact with us on social media, though, can't they?
2: They certainly can. They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily and we'll be there. With that, Delaney Howell, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.